0: For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered.
1: Centered in the City's platform is accessible, easily navigated, and complete. The organization of rituals by focus or timing helps offer something for whatever time or location constraints I might have, especially when I decide on the spot that Centered in the City is what I need. I frequently listen to the podcast while commuting to or from work. Wade's gentle voice and supportive guidance is welcoming, especially since I'm relatively new to meditation and a complete novice with Pilates. I most often turn to centered in the city's meditation before I even get out of bed, starting my day with a settled and balanced mind. I'm currently focusing on building a sustainable mindful movement practice and Wade's ritual building plan that she walked me through made my first two weeks 100% successful. I am so fortunate to have found Wade and her work on Centered in the City.
0: Thanks so much for sharing your experience with us, Mary. We love having you in Centered in the City. If you're interested in joining the community, learn more and sign up at centeredinthecity.org. Welcome back to the Center in the City podcast. On today's episode, I am so excited to interview Claude Silver, who is the Chief Heart Officer at Media. And... We talk about how to create a culture of compassion, of empathy. We explore what VaynerMedia did during the pandemic to create connection and build trust and put people first. So this is such an important episode where we get to really learn about how to invest in our people, that it is an ROI, that it's not just a box to check. So if you are a leader in your company, or if you are somebody who's a wellness advocate, this episode is for you. So let's settle in and let's get centered. Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. It's great to be
2: here, Wade. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It is such an honor to have you and I love beginning with this prompt of sharing with us a time where you didn't feel centered and maybe particularly at work and Mm -hmm. how you were able to meet yourself there.
2: That is such a powerful question and there are many times that just went through my head the minute you said that, which is (laughs) funny. I would say the one that really sticks out for me is when I was running a a large account for a bank, I was living in London. So I didn't have a a lot of, like, I didn't have a community yet, Mm. just moved there. And the deliverables we sent to the client were really to her dissatisfaction. And she called me up at around noon that day. I know it was noon because I'll get to that in a second. And she went off and really, really, it wasn't that she was just attacking the creative and critiquing it. She was attacking the people on the team, which really, Mm. really got me off guard because I'm team is everything. You know, we can always, we can always recreate a campaign. You can always put, you know, put more blue in it, put more red into it. But she was really, really talking about the personalities on the team. And I felt helpless. And that's not a position I like to be in, nor as a leader, do I often feel? So we got off the call and I went outside and I called my brother. So it was 7am New York time, Mm. noon London time, and just cried and cried and cried. The first time really I had cried at work and it really, it shook me to my bones. My imposter syndrome came up, my limiting beliefs, homesickness came up do I know what I'm doing? What am I going to tell the team? And, uh, and that's what happened. And I will say, I ended up calling her, it was a Friday. So I called her on a Monday and set up time to go to dinner and drinks. And we, we definitely settled it and became colleagues, I would say.
0: How did you support yourself when you were feeling so rattled? I mean, it sounds like you reached out to your brother to find a sense of community connection, yeah, allowing that release with crying,
2: crying. Um, it just so happened that we were, the office was right at Hyde park. And so there was a beautiful serpentine, uh, area there. You could walk around the swans and ducks. And I did that Mm -hmm. for probably Mm -hmm. a half an hour while I was on the phone with my brother. Mm -hmm. And that really, I mean, nature really grounds me. Mm -hmm. I would say fresh air, always taking a beat, getting away from any kind of stimulation that gets me out of myself. So a lot of tabs open or a lot of noise in an office. So I walked for about 30 minutes and then really did feel much,
0: much, much better. Mm. And I'm even hearing, I mean, the weekend space, it sounds like created some spaciousness to allow the emotions to cool and then reconnected for drinks. And I wanna just... Highlight there that you weren't resisting the connection. Like, it's like, you really were like, how can we build connection here? How can we find a solution and, and not hiding away from the discomfort?
2: Yeah. And I always feel like if we can remove the armor and remove this, who we are at work thing and just get to humans and what we're all about and find common denominators and open our heart to empathize then you can build some kind of trust there. And I really wanted her to know as a human, but also as someone she was paying and a company she was paying that I was her partner in this. Mm. So I felt much better. And we really did remain colleagues for for the years I was out there.
0: Mm. Well, this brings us to your role at VaynerMedia and being the first chief heart officer. Tell us a little bit about how you got that title or how you created that title. Yeah,
2: well, it's a, it's a great title. and I think It's a it's great the, title. The best one in, in rock and roll. And I always am extremely honored to, to wear the title. And I think that there are so many of us out there that wear that title and know in our heart of hearts that we are here to be of service and we are here to keep other people's hearts at the top of mind, top of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always been basically who I who I am—a mentor, coach, player, coach—you know, put me in type of person. I got your back, and uh, I started working for Gary eight years ago. I was living in London. He moved me to New York, and it was pretty obvious to us that we were two sides of the same coin. We might express ourselves a little bit differently, but our belief in people and our desire to create a culture that eliminates politics and fear is something that was very near and dear to our heart so he had me start to travel to all of our other offices very Mm -hmm. early on in my life cycle there even though my client was in New Jersey and I was in New York and when I asked him what why that's great love to go to San Francisco can stay with friends so forth and so on he said just go do that thing that you do and it was the first time I had a boss acknowledged that there was something else going on other than my day-to-day job Hmm. other than the job that paid my bills and in fact what Gary ended up recognizing is that was actually my strength was to go do that thing that I do rather than running P&L and um, I ended up going to Gary a year into my tenure and said thank you so much I love this place I love it here but I don't want to work in advertising anymore. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I only care about people. I only care about the heartbeat of this place. And one thing led to another. I actually resigned and and uh, and he and we went for breakfast and he said, that's it, you're coming back. You'll be the, you're going to be the chief heart officer. So I think it was, you know, Gary loves to brand things. I think I had said, I only care about the heartbeat of this place. It was pretty um, uh, obvious that people came to me from different teams to chat when I was no longer working at Vayner it was like I was working at Vayner you know people were always coming coming and seeing if, if we could get some time together to take a walk in the park or something so it was um, a marriage I would say a union of life skills and and tools and um, and strengths I have mm-hmm. to say and mm-hmm. strengths. there's no there's not a day that I have a limiting belief or imposter syndrome about it how I hold space for someone mm. and what that entails and how important and what an honor that is and there's tons of days that I have my imposter syndrome poke up about other things but mm-hmm. not when it comes to building relationships
0: Wow to be so witnessed and seen by your boss of this is your skill this is you know go do the thing that you do and yeah. to acknowledge that and then to welcome you into that role what what a gift that is, and I'm sure what a gift that you've been able to excel in over the years. How do you feel that having a chief heart officer has supported the culture as Vayner has navigated as we all have the pandemic the last few de- last few years, and how hard that has been with the work life balance and burnout and all of the unbelievable stress that's gone on?
2: Yeah. So the, the wonderful thing about the role is that m- my only job description is to touch every single employee and infuse the agency with empathy. So that's been my job description for six and a half years. Every year I check in with Gary, we still, wow. on is this still what you want me to do? So the answer is yes. And so it was mine to figure out how to do that. And when he said, touch every single individual, I translated that a very common sense way. I, I need to, I need to reach out and get to know everyone, mm-hmm. and that's taken years to do. And I, you know, developed kind of a, a method, uh, a very organic method in terms of doing that. Fifteen minute meetings, um, and so I'm very high touch. We're a very high touch culture. I think that's really how we win. We're you know, connective tissue is alive and well throughout. Everyone's accessible. You can have a meeting with anyone, and every you know, it's it's all open. It's really mm-hmm. open source actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had already developed that. And created so much of that rapport that was definitely, I would say, my equity within the company. Mm. So when COVID hit and I sent everyone home on the 17th of March, 2020, I had already had that, um, you know, that was already like a garden that I already walked in with people day in Mm -hmm. and day out. Mm -hmm. What I needed to do with the help of many other people was scale that very quickly to ensure that people were safe, they were not ill if they were ill. You know, what could we help them with? Getting them 4G if they had 3G, if they had roommates, all of that. And then, you know, dealing with the the real raw emotion that came with all of the the instability and anxiety of COVID. And then, of course, Black Lives Matter and the murder of George Floyd. And mm-hmm. then, of course, um, you know, everything else, the AAPI incidents in Atlanta. Now we have Roe versus Wade. Every week, it seems like it's um, something.
0: Yes. Mm. So, gun it, violence. It's just...
2: yeah. It's it's terrible. The, the war in Ukraine. So, I, I believe that as long as we're still touching people in the way that I believe we want to, which is via our hearts, via authenticity, vulnerability, like this is what's going on for me, I can relate. Whatever. Um, that that this will all work out. I mean, I I try. I was talking to someone yesterday, and I was explaining that I'm always looking for. Wellness programs that will, that can hit as many people as possible in the common denominator issues or challenges that we might face, you know, in terms of anxiety, burnout, um, lack of sleep, all of those things. It's difficult to hit each and every person, 1,600 people, in a bespoke manner because we all do have our own individual. Issues, But I try to make sure that any of our benefits any of our programs can reach as many of the masses as possible in a in a pure way. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. that's really it and continuing to touch base with people and continuing to send, you know, company wide emails out about, you know, if you need this, then please go here. If you want to talk, please go here. If you need to be off camera? That's okay.
0: yeah, I feel like a lot of companies are trying to catch up. Like, I hear that you laid a lot of the groundwork of finding connection and building connection, planting those seeds in your garden, as you said, pre pandemic, so that when shit hits the fan, like it did and it continues to do week after week, that you already have a thread built in. And it sounds like it's pretty stable. Like, your heartbeat is is connecting through. Whereas I know a lot of other companies are struggling because everybody was just dispersed and nobody has really come back to home yet. And so how do they create that sense of connection and empathy and and compassion when it can be so easy to hide behind video and in the virtual space that we're working in? So I'm curious if you have any thoughts or suggestions to other HR departments or just other leaders of how to navigate this this time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely a question that we all talk about. The first one will always be listening. And so how do you set up a conversation, a Zoom with one person or a Zoom with 20 people so that there is that safe space, psychologically safe space for people to show up? And not only show up, but also uh, bring their, their full voice to the table, if you know what I mean. I, I could say full self, but really be present. And that really requires vulnerability on a leader's part. And that requires, I believe, checking in before you go into what are the deliverables or anything like that. I believe that requires rituals, which we most of the teams set up in the beginning of COVID. You know, mm-hmm. whether or not that was, a you know, 30 seconds of a meditation or a scavenger hunt or lets everyone um, do, uh, you know, tell us what you did on the weekend. What are you binging? What did you, how many times did you make chicken this past week? You know, mm-hmm. when we were all kind of like locked up. So rituals has been really, really important. And one of the things that we did that I think was incredible and sustained us is we set up a um, an internal YouTube channel. And at 1:37 p.m. East Coast time, every single day, so West Coast could get it, London, Mexico could get it, and Singapore saw it on on video. Um, uh, we brought everyone together for 15 minutes, and we would have celebrities on. So Gary might uh, interview Novak Djokovic, or Will I Am, or I interviewed Robin Williams' son, who's setting up a mental health facility in L.A we had historians and academics on, we brought in people from the company who were, showed us their side hustles, and maybe it was a hot sauce they were making. The point was, is we asked everyone for 15 minutes to not have client meetings, to not have client phone calls, and to just get a cup of tea, get a bowl of cereal, whatever it was, and to almost like be entertained. Yes, Mm -hmm. you were still looking at a, a video screen, but cognitively you could, you could tune off almost like you know, when you're in an office and you can walk to the restroom or you can walk to get a coffee, you get a step away. Mm -hmm. When you step away, you have an opportunity to kind of, I I believe like your brain has an opportunity to breathe.
0: Mm -hmm. Like a reset.
2: Yeah. To reset. Exactly. And so it was just, you know, just wonderful. Um, Every single day. Now it's, it's every other day and we've done it now for two years. Wow. The greatest thing about it is the chat functionality, because people are now like racing to see who logs on first and who's going to be the guest speaker today, because we drop you know, uh, hints and just razzing each other in the best of ways. And then as soon as the 15 minutes is over, that conversation goes to Slack. Mm. So that has really brought incredible connection Mm. far and wide to our culture. And that is incredible. So when you are in the office and you finally meet this guy named Barack, you're like, Barack, you're the guy that signs on every single day first. You know, it's like a, a brand. Yeah. So very cool. And um, so to answer that question, finding ways to build community.
0: Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Still yeah. I'm hearing the consistency with that practice and the multiple dimensions in which you allow for connection so that. And that shared experience, you're creating a continued shared experience for the whole company to experience. It's not just siloed in everybody's teams and, and creating more of a divide.
2: Exactly. Because we're better when obviously we're we're stronger and we're better when we're connected. And that's why I, I do use the analogy of connective tissue or or a soup, a minestrone soup. You know, when that when you don't have oregano or that bay leaf, it's not gonna taste as good. Mm-hmm. And the wonderful thing is everyone has their own bay leaf mm-hmm. to enter everyone has their own spice to enter and without everyone's inclusivity and diversity then we are not as strong the mm-hmm. soup is not it's not going to win any awards
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i heard you say a few minutes ago that leaders get to practice deep listening like compassionate mm-hmm. empathetic deep listening and you know there's a, of course articles about how that's a top quality for leaders to have in this day and age. But how do you really convince leaders to be practicing that, that they, that's not soft skills or Mm -hmm. if it is soft skills that it's not, you know, weak or something, you know, to push off to the side to learn, but that's really an essential skill to being a meaningful, empowering leader, especially in these days.
2: Yes. So it is. those are skills that either someone comes in with naturally or we need to help them get there and in order to get there they need to shake the rust off of wherever they've just come from and most of the time that has been a place that has had um, some kind of fearful culture it has had some kind of anxious culture or um, unhealthy competition culture and so the name of our game really is people first. It's not Kool-Aid. It's in the water. It's something that I believe if you are at Vayner, you are absolutely open to receiving an MBA or a PhD or whatever you want in kindness and in mm. emotional intelligence and, uh, in empathy and being the bigger person, you know, turning other people into heroes. So that's who we are. If you come in Thinking it's going to be different, it's going to be a, a rude awakening for you, and it's going to take some time, and it might not be the place for every single leader. So, mm-hmm. you know, you and I have no control over changing anyone's behavior other than our own.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so sadly, you, Exactly. <laughs> I know, I know, I came to accept it a while ago. Yes, flat, exactly. But, um, and uh, and so you talk to the person, and you give examples, uh, examples of when I've slipped. You know, examples, how about share the example of when I resigned and there's more examples from everyone that I think the more generous we are with our shared experiences mm-hmm. and our vulnerability, the happier the place will be, the quicker people will learn. You know, the sh- the shortcut here is speed. At the end of the day, we're, we're an agency. We need to get things out the door. We want to be first to market with X, Y, and Z in order to do that you need speed as some kind of ROI. Mm -hmm. But all of these other things have to happen before you get speed. Mm -hmm. All of the psychological safety, the connection, the belonging, the trust, the warmth, the shared purpose. And then you get into the shorthand, Mm -hmm. which allows for speed. And so to answer the question, it takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes conversation after conversation, after conversation, it takes setting everyone free. And then, you know, someone coming back to me or Gary and saying, you know, that, that leader really stepped in it today. Well, mm-hmm. tell me about that. And then having a candorous conversation with that leader. And obviously no one comes into work with malintent, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but sometimes we come into work thinking that it has to be all about us because that's what we've been trained on in
0: years past and in jobs past. So when you say that you offer support for leaders or people who walk in who maybe have I love what you said the rust from their previous experiences, that maybe create a little bit more armor in the heart, what sort of training or programming or coaching internally happens to help people tap into their heart and, and drink the water that's in the system to to be this, you know, really compassionate people first culture?
2: Yeah. So in the first 90 days, we, any leader is gone, is going to swarm other leaders. And I mean that in the best of ways, we are going to spend a lot of time with that other C-suite or that um, EVP of whatever. And that's, that's a commitment that we have. And we have that all, you know, in a, in a spreadsheet and whatnot. So you know what you're doing and you know, when it's your coffee time and all of that stuff, because we're very, sh- we're, we learn by osmosis mm. big time. That's a really big, big part of it. We, um, up until last year, we had individualized uh, coaching for each and every leader from C-suite down to um, director, I think, creative director. And so that person had the opportunity to meet with their coach once a week and go through and talk about whatever they wanted to talk about. It was obviously confidential. And that was hugely helpful. Now we have, we brought on a a, a platform, a, a company platform called Journey. Mm-hmm. journey is um, guided meditation, mindfulness. Uh, there, there is some coaching on there, breathing practices, those types of things. That's open for everyone uh, across the across the globe. Um, and then there's our our people that do ask for their own specific coaches.
1: Mm-hmm. So there's a
2: there's a number of things to do, but really ultimately, you find the thing that works for you. I think because everyone is different, and we don't want cookie cutter leaders like we don't want cookie cutter people mm-hmm. we want the diversity um and so we we try to help people land what works best for them and for some people they'll ask for a recommendation for a therapist and if i can offer that i will and for some people they'll want to go to the coach that joe is going to
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how do you <clears throat> demonstrate for people who are listening that this is an investment like how is this a ROI, because I think some companies, you know, they hear coaching and they hear meditation and they hear wellness programs and other resiliency and and empathy programming can be supportive. But sometimes I notice it's like they're just checking a box, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like, oh, you know, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. Let's let's offer something, you know, and let's get it in an hour and let's make it really like and yep, that box is checked. But then that, of course, is not creating the sustainable culture shift. So how do we get people to really realize the investment is, you know, long term and that there is a return?
2: Yeah. You know, when I get asked that question, I always say, tell me what the ROI isn't. Like, Mm -hmm. what's not the ROI of coming from a we not I place? Tell me what's not the ROI of being kind, of, of spreading goodness, of giving someone your attention, or, or, or listening actively. You tell me what's not the ROI. Because at the end of the day, the equation I just gave you before, the ROI was speed. Mm-hmm. Speed is a massive ROI, but you need to make sure that you're really working on the well, not the faucet. Mm -hmm. like really connecting with people that is not cheap and cheerful. That is not like, saw you on Instagram. Great. Where's your deliverable? You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so spending time with people, there's an enormous, I mean, it's a business issue. Culture is a business issue issue. It's everyone's job to cultivate it. I do really firmly believe that we are now seeing with, with younger millennials and Gen Z Mm -hmm. that there is a struggle to find talent. Everyone wants to work remotely. Mm-hmm. People want to architect their own role within a role and company. There are people that, you know, want to be the next Mark Zuckerberg or Gary Vaynerchuk and mm-hmm. think that they could do that within three years. So you, there's there's so much patience that needs to be taught, real patience. And that's one of the uh, a big leadership lesson I got from Gary early on. Was as much as I know I can go through the alphabet very, very quickly, go from A to Z and find a solution. I miss all of the other opportunities that the other letters give you. And so, talent, attrition, retention, innovation, creativity, happiness. I mean, Tal Ben Shahar does a whole study on happiness at work in the workplace and uh, the payoff that you get when you are good to one another, when you invest in high performers, when you let people play to their strengths, mm-hmm. you know, when you put people on performance plans, because you believe in them, when mm-hmm. you trust first, like real, I, I was going to say magical things happen. I don't want it to sound woo-woo real connection happens. And when you have that connection and I'll beat this drum forever, you can create pretty much anything out of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything and people are willing to go into the trenches for one another. Yeah. And that's needed sometimes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it baffles me that people don't think that psychological safety and building trust and being seen as a human, how essential that is to, Being able to work together, being able to collaborate, being able to feel safe enough to be creative or just express themselves authentically, being able to make mistakes and take risks, how that's all so essential.
2: What you just made me think about is the power of words.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. And to your point, you can use words to tick a box, but that's in sand and that will, you know, melt away with the next wave. Or you can, use, you can use words that have power, but you use them with intention to actually make change, to actually root something into place. You know, words and labels, they're just boxes most of the time, mm-hmm. unless you can follow through with some bravery there behind mm-hmm.
0: words. And I'll share this brief story, which is interesting about words, because it's being clear with our words is a practice in itself. And then how we live those words, right? How we bring it into intention. And so I was having a conversation with a company um, about doing some mindfulness resiliency work. And we were talking about their company values. And I don't remember if this was the exact company value, but I'm going to say it was, it was like persistence or something like that. And we were talking about, well, how is persistence being lived and talked about? And is that, maybe contributing to this culture of burnout and super fatigue right now. And it was interesting because the HR community that I was connecting with was like, actually, some of our leaders talk about a story of how someone on the sales team was so persistent, that she was finishing a client deal as she was heading into the hospital to give birth and like cheering on that sense of persistence and we were like well there's a there's a little window into how the company values and those words are being lived right and and is that really the culture that you want to be creating so even just being clear uh with the with language and then how it's actually being lived and celebrated and and talked about is so essential
2: it's so essential and i think to even, uh, you know, put the cherry on that cake, is what experience are those people living into when they hear that word? Like, what exactly. is the experience we give people mm-hmm. as leaders? How we show up, mm-hmm. you know, or what we say. Or what we right. what are you
0: celebrating? What are you acknowledging yeah. from that? That are giving yeah. people like, oh, I have to be glued to my phone all the time, even when I'm heading into birth. <laughs> you know, I can't be present in my own personal life. Right. Uh, Claude, this was so insightful. And my heart just feels open knowing that you're out there creating, you know, a space for people to be themselves, to be able to feel seen and heard at work. And to know that then they can bring that energy into their personal lives and also into the world, because we all know that the world needs more of love and compassion.
2: Thank you, Wade. I appreciate all the work that you're doing too. I mean, it uh, it takes a lot of patience. Appreciate that you're out there and you're helping people identify where things can be tweaked and where we can come back to heart because that's what it's all about.
1: And we all have a
2: heart. We all all have a heart. You cannot Mm -hmm. deny that. Mm -hmm. So um, let's, uh, I don't know, let's let more love in. And there's nothing wrong with using
0: the word love in the workplace, by the way. I know, I love it. <laughs> I love it, love it, love it. Uh, where can people learn more about you or, or reach out or find out more about VaynerMedia? Yeah,
2: for sure. You can always reach out on LinkedIn. I post a lot there. I'm happy to talk about Vayner. We've got a great career site. We've got a lot of openings all over the place. And um, yeah, we'd love to hear from anyone. Um, that's the best place, LinkedIn, or,
0: or you can email me, Claude over at Amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you, Wade. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. I would love and appreciate if you took a moment to rate and review this podcast, as well as share this episode with at least one person in your community that you know it would help or inspire. Until next time, stay safe